Hi, everyone. Welcome to Redefine the Circle, a podcast where we discuss all things pitching. I'm Ashley Sunshine, co-owner and head of pitching development at S2 Breakthrough. In this initial series, we're going to highlight topics that focus on how to maximize your pitchers now. We're going to discuss some of the trends that we've seen with our own pitchers at S2 Breakthrough as we've collected more and more data. Some of the topics we'll cover include how we've shifted the way we understand and train pitch types, how to maximize game day prep, and generally how we use data to create systems and approaches that are specific to each pitcher. It's so important for us to continue to share this information and facilitate discussion within the pitching community so we can keep evolving as coaches and ultimately grow pitching into something it's never been before. Thanks so much for listening, and thanks for joining the quest to redefine the circle. This podcast is sponsored by Yakertech, softball's first in-game optical tracking system and most accurate data capturing solution. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Redefine the Circle. I'm Ashley Sunshine, co-owner and head of pitching development at S2 Breakthrough. In today's episode, I want to discuss the types of training strategies that we often use at S2 to help pitchers make adjustments or grow their pitches, grow the amount of spin or spin direction, break, really how we allow pitchers, uh, the types of tools or the types of environments that we create pitchers to essentially help with pitch development and ultimately pitch design. So in the last few episodes, what we've really talked a lot about is the relationship between the trunk and the arm. Meaning, you know, we, we talked in episode two about how we don't isolate the wrist or isolate the arm because we know essentially that most of the time, the arm action is actually doing its job. It's doing the best job it can. It's the trunk and the trunk's positioning or the trunk's timing that's not allowing the arm to come through. And so just isolating the arm as if it's something as simple as, you know, doing wrist snaps a hundred times or, um, you know, feeling just your fingers. You have to understand that it's really part of a system. So we've talked about that piece. We've talked a little bit about how we uh, look at trunk arm timing, how we train that. We'll go in some future discussions about the types of things we do for patterns. Um, but I think right now what I want to talk about is that we do also sort of, uh, feed the arm action. We do sort of uh, make sure there are portions of our training session that are really about the timing in which the arm unravels, getting in different hand position. I just want to talk about some of those details and really what that looks like and how we go about that. So uh, first thing I would say is that the, the foundation to being able to produce more on the ball, to being able to get the ball to break to spin better and break more is arm variability. And so this concept is just a staple. Uh, I will talk about this concept a little bit more in a few episodes, but this concept of just arm variability is a staple in our program. And the foundation of building that for us is using plyos and using plyos in a very specific manner. So oftentimes I will, at the end of using plyos in a pitcher's warmup, when I sort of, you know, build out their program to be very much based on patterns and sticking up arm and trunk and slowing things down, we get to the end of the warm-up in plyos. And I typically, you know, ask our athletes then to really uh, rapidly change the weights in which they're throwing. And what I'm asking them to do is to accomplish the same task hit the same X or mark on the wall, regardless of the weight that's in their hand. And so I am forcing variability on the arm. When there's a heavier ball versus a lighter ball in their hand, they have to manipulate the timing at which they're unraveling to accomplish the same task. So to me, this is the foundation. 
You want your trunk to be as stable as possible so that the arm can be variable. That's what we're shooting for. So that's sort of the foundational concept that I really build into the majority of our pitchers. We're not talking about intent to get a pitch to do one thing versus another yet. It's just this concept of making sure that you produce uh, some variability in your arm action and you have some control over that. Uh, After that, what I would say is that when we look at what pitchers are currently able to do, we obviously have uh, the luxury of having a high-speed camera, Rapsodo Insight. And so when pitchers are throwing throwing different pitch types, we have this uh, ability to then be able to give them instant feedback. So, okay, if we have a pitcher in front of us, we have pitcher A, and she throws a drop ball, and we know from her assessment, we know from the data we have, that she's throwing this pitch four or five inches of break. And really, you know, to, for this pitch to be more effective, we want to try to gain another, you know, two inches or so of break consistently on this pitch. So in order to do that when she's throwing, the first thing that I would do is show her her hand position on the ball. Now, I know that this is sort of like a, uh, a privilege that we have to have these resources, but I would show her where her hand position is on the ball so she can see, okay, it's this that's leading to, you know, your inability to sort of get the ball in a better spin axis. So what we need to do in order to produce more break is get your hand here. I want to make sure it's clear to her. And you don't need high-speed camera or insight to do this. You can just kind of talk to the pitcher. But I think the visual, in addition to being able to explain it, is really powerful for pitchers. So to be able to show them this is the change we're trying to make. So intent is just clear right off the bat. Then the first variable that I would manipulate, and that's how I really think about when I'm designing training sessions. Uh, I say this a lot, but I don't really spend my time coming up with drills, drills that look fancy and weird and different. Um, I have a pet peeve, honestly, uh, when it comes to, you know, creating drills just so that they look different, just, you know, to put a label on it like it it looks progressive or something. I think it's so important to know that there are some things that are traditional that are great. Um, there are things that are look weird that are not great. Um, I think what I spend my time on is like, is it real? Is it truth? Does it work? Can I measure it? And I know it's working. And I, I really think that Um, So again, I don't really spend my time coming up with strange drills. I spend my time trying to create environments or changing variables, changing constraints that really match what works for that pitcher. So the first variable is intensity. That's really the simplest one to me. So intensity, uh, I ask the pitcher to go at a lower intensity. I ask her to move up so I never have her at a full 43 feet and then ask her to throw lower intensity. We always really, whatever... Uh, you know, speed we're trying to throw at, we go to that distance as well. So uh, we're going to lower intensity. And the reason for that is because the trunk, first and foremost, is more manageable at lower intensity. Essentially, patterns are better. This is not like, you know, I just assume we have used our sensors, we've used our biomechanics graphs uh, and looked at them and read them. And essentially what we can see is that the first thing we see change with pitchers when we're in training is that at lower intensity, their patterns look clean. And then it just takes longer for those patterns to build their way back up to high intensity. Makes perfect sense. So I'm going to put pitchers in an environment where the trunk is managing itself a a little bit better. We're taking this concept out of like, of power. And so usually it's the power element. It's the like the max intensity piece where compensations start to become, are born essentially. So we remove that. Now the trunk is more stable. And now just by nature, that pitcher can feel her arm action, feel the timing of when she's unraveling, 
then feel her hand position on the ball just a little bit better than she does at full intensity. So that's the first thing. Proprioception is higher. Trunk is more manageable. That's really, really key. The goal, remember, is to translate what's happening in that sort of environment, this drill, if you will, to what's going on uh, at full intensity. And so for me, I would rather just slow it down and make keep what the motion actually is, what's actually occurring in the motion, and just make it more manageable, then create a drill where it doesn't actually match. Because what we have found in our data is that that doesn't connect, it doesn't translate. The only thing that I will do oftentimes, if a pitcher comes at lower intensity, sometimes I give her a little bit of a different drill, but it's really simple. So an example of that is I might say, okay, we're trying to get our hand in better position on the ball because we know we need two more inches of sink on this pitch. Okay, so uh, let's start what I would just say like one-step walk-ins. This is just a nice, like imagine you were just having an underhand catch with your partner across from you, just like you would overhand. You're just stepping into it. Essentially, there's no load. There's no tension. There's no concept of tension. It's all just fluidity, relaxed, and really it kind of takes the concept of like posture, again, uh, tension, trunk out of the equation. It's just the arm. This is arguably uh, making the motion look not like the motion, but the arm still gets in its position. uh, And it allows, I think, this extra focus on what the arm action is doing, when it's unraveling and where the hand is on the ball. And then I'll like progress it. Okay, we're going to do just a handful of one-step walk-ins. Can you feel like you're trying to manipulate your hand position by making sure you're unraveling a little bit early? If that feels good, let's add some tension back. We're still at low intensity. Now we'll just go into, you know, whether it's maybe just a regular motion, uh, what I would call like regular start at, you know, lower intensity, 75%. And so now we're adding this load concept, this launch. So it's making it look a little more like the pitching motion because of that piece. We're adding the trunk element in now, uh, but we're still at low intensity. So we're still keeping it pretty manageable. And then we're going to work through there. We also, we measure this stuff all the time. So a lot of times what I'll do is I'll have pitchers throw at 75% and I also use Repsoto. I also make sure that we're looking, are we getting what we what we want to achieve? And I think that's an important piece because oftentimes we'll just look at whether the pitch is translating at 100%. And now I know that's the ultimate goal and ultimately, you know, no one is that uh, you know, no one cares that much if the pitch is spins great at 75 if it can't it doesn't do its job at 100 but it's important to understand if the strategies in which you're using are working and if you're seeing that they're working and you're measuring it then you know it's just a matter of time before that pitcher can pull it into 100 so it's important to know that so we will measure that um and so again that's how i use that low intensity uh, variable essentially to make sure that the pitcher just has a better feel for the timing in which she unravels the arm and then ultimately what her hand position is at ball release. Uh, we can also use high speed camera at low intensity. Uh, and again, we certainly can can look at ball flight data. And so she can get some instant feedback on what's going on so she can feel what's happening and she can see what's going on. Another variable that I may add to that is changing the weight of the ball. And this is something, again, just changing weight for the sake of proprioception or, you know, feel for where your arm is in space, your body is in space. This is just an absolute just staple in S2 programming. Now, I talked about how I use that for plyos, but we also use it with softballs. We use weighted balls, weighted softballs all the time to help pitchers. So, What I have found is that there certainly is an individualized nature to this, meaning I might find that, 
you know, pitcher A really gets in great hand position on an eight ounce, but for pitcher B, it takes a 10 ounce for her to really feel it. So there's a level of individuality, but what I have found to be true most of the time is that when I'm asking a pitcher to work a little bit more on bullet or backspin, something more up in the zone traditionally, and I want her to resist the rotation of that forearm. I want her to essentially hold the segmentation between her upper arm and lower arm longer, as we talked about uh, in in a previous episode. Then I'll give her overload, balls that are heavier than a typical softball. Eight ounce, nine ounce, 10 ounce, these seem to be the range in which pitchers are most comfortable and still have essentially can feel the arm, but still have control over the arm action. And so what that does is sort of slows the arm down, allows them to really feel that segmentation, and then allows them to cut the ball. Um, Cut the ball differently, I should say, than maybe how they were before. When it comes to sync, when we're trying to get, so the example I gave when I first started this discussion, if I'm trying to get an athlete to develop, you know, a couple inches more of sync on the pitch, a lot of times what I find is that I might give them some overload just to sort of throw the arm into chaos a little bit, but I'm really trying to get them to hone in on here is the timing that we need to start unraveling that arm to get those fingers behind the ball on time. Then oftentimes I'll use underload. So remember, this is not like underload velocity concept. We're at low intensity when I'm giving these. This is like changing the variable of weight goes on top of the variable of of intensity. So um, I'll go to underload, and what that really does, it speeds up the arm. So it speeds up the timing in which the arm unravels. That forearm wants to turn quickly, the hand gets behind the ball, and so the pitchers can start to see, they can start to feel, okay, that's the timing at which I need to start you know, unraveling that forearm, getting that hand behind the ball. And so we'll kind of go back and forth. Okay, you're doing a couple, maybe on a five ounce. Now let's go back to the seven ounce. And so I use a cycling concept a lot, not just for, for you know, pitch development, pitch design. I also do this when we're trying to drive patterns uh, in a better direction for pitchers. But cycling meaning that I'll find the variables that really work for this pitcher. So I might say, okay, athlete A, when she's on a five ounce ball at 75% doing this drill, Uh, you know, just that regular start, maybe. This is where she's achieving the best spin direction. This is the break that we are ultimately going to need at 100%. So we're going to throw a handful in that environment. And now I'm just going to change one variable at a time. So same environment, but now we're going to throw some on a regular softball. Now let's go back. Let's cycle back to the environment where she was at really, really sinking well and her brain and her body were right on target with timing and were able to accomplish what they needed. Let's get back in that environment. Let's pull her out of it. Uh, And I just sort of cycle those concepts back and forth so she can start to blend them together, essentially. Um, Usually when I am trying to pull constraints away from a pitcher to sort of ease her out of constraints, ease her out of some of those variables and into more of just the standard pitching motion, I usually try to pull one variable at a time so that it doesn't just send send the brain and the body into chaos. So um, that would be an example. I want to identify really the variables that really work for that athlete. So we have uh, intensity as one, uh, and we have uh, the weight of the ball. And I have just really, those have been really, really effective strategies for our pitchers to be able to see that uh, and to be able to, for our pitchers to be able to uh, make change essentially and to be able to take that change, not just at a low intensity, but to pull it up into high intensity. The third variable that I manipulate uh, I would say sometimes, it really depends on the pitcher. The first two are kind of staples. I've always manipulated those for pitchers when we're working on pitch development uh, concepts. But the third is 
pulling in other pitch types. This is kind of this like cycling concept. So for example, when I have pitchers, if we know, okay, on your rise ball, you, for reasons we talked about in a previous episode, you're just throwing a bullet spin pitch. You're really locking out that wrist. You're resisting sort of that really uh, natural unraveling of the forearm, cutting that ball hard with your fingers. Instead, you're really trying to you know keep this concept of spinning under the ball and your thumb is in the way and we're not rotating early enough. So it's a fine line. We don't want to essentially rotate the form to get the fingers behind the ball. But when it is time to unravel, we have to unravel and get those fingers on the ball instead of sort of resisting that with that thumb. So in order to get her to, to do that, again, we'll use uh, Insight high-speed camera. We'll make sure she understands the concept that we're describing. And then what I may do is send her back into low intensity where we can feel the arm action, and I might start to cycle other pitch types. So examples of this might be, okay, on your screwball or on your curveball, you do a really great job of just cutting hard. You're not trying to like isolate that wrist, hold tension in the wrist and spin under it. Your fingers are getting on the inside half of that ball really well, but we need that on your rise ball. So let's cycle those back and forth. Let's do some at 75 with your screwball. And now let's take that same concept and go to a fastball. Um, I might do it, or sorry, with a rise ball. I might do that just even using fastball. Okay, to feel how you're just unloading. You're just gonna literally take all that tension and just deliver it on the ball. You ha- your intent is to just be aggressive with those fingers. Okay, now let's throw this up pitch and let's pull from that pitch a little bit more. I'm trying to blend the intent of one pitch type versus another. Uh, another example in which I would do this a lot is like if a, a changeup, for example, has a lot of horizontal run, like too much horizontal run, and it's not really blending well with the pitch with our other pitch types, and we need it to have like a little bit more sync. So a little less horizontal, a little more sync, and we know their fingers have to be less like around the ball and a little bit more behind the ball delivery. And so what I'll have her do is when she's warming up, we'll just mix that pitch right away with drop or with fastball if the fastball is a topspin pitch. And so right away, she's just like constantly weaving in and out between a breaking pitch where her hand successfully gets behind the ball and the change up. So she knows the intent. And again, then she's trying to blend those pitches back together. So uh, it wouldn't, you know, it, it uh, something like a training template, uh, it wouldn't be uncommon for me to write a training template where okay, we're working on uh, rise ball and the way we're going to start warming it up, we're going to go to 75% and uh, we're going to throw first just, you know, two fastballs right off, right out of the gates. We want to make sure we're really unraveling that arm action aggressively. We're not resisting the unraveling of the arm. Um, okay. And so we get that. We understand that intent. Now let's go to rise and we're going to do a couple on a 10 ounce. We're going to move a couple to an eight ounce. Then we're going to finish on someone a seven ounce and just kind of measuring along the, you know, along the way of does that work? What's the sequence that seems to work well with this pitcher? What's the combination of these variables, I should say, that really get her to achieve what she wants? The goal is that she throws normal start, normal motion, 75% intensity on a regular softball and the ball is doing exactly as it's supposed to. And then I know, okay, she's right on the cusp of being able to pull this into 100%. And, uh, you know, then we then we go from there. And then we kind of go, we're going 100%. I'll cycle back to 75. We're just constantly thinking, evaluating what does that pitcher need? How much cycling back and forth before she can just get that concept and stick it at 100%. And it's just a journey. It's just a process for our athletes. So I highly encourage uh 
pitching coaches out there, not just to see it as all or nothing, that we go into these like wrist snaps or these like cage drills that, that don't remotely resemble what the motion is going to look like and how the trunk and arm are going to interact. And then we just ask them to do it at 100%. The gap between those things is just, it's huge. And so I really encourage you to start to essentially just make the motion a little bit more manageable, even if it's something like, okay, well, I don't have access to weighted balls or, you know, even the intensity concept is something that everyone can implement. And just start to see, is the pitcher able to do a better job when I just simply make the motion a little more manageable? I take the power concept away this trunk is more stable and she can feel what she's trying to do. And I think those baby steps are ultimately how we get to progression. I think also just generally, this is where the conversation about how we use data in the backgrounds and how we use data on the spot. This is just really uh, like a good a good segue into that conversation because what happens is we collect data in the background, whether it's assessment or just sort of constantly on our pictures. And when we show them their dashboards, we show them what their data looks like they see, okay, this pitch is, you know, I see where it sits now. What I'm going for is this. And pitcher A is not going for the same thing as pitcher B or C or D. They all have something different based on how their pitches uh, really relate to all the other pitches they throw. It's not about just isolating one pitch, but it's about understanding the story of how their pitches work together. And so from there, we determine whether or not a pitch just needs to stay as is, whether or not it needs more. So that's the first piece of sort of collecting data in the background and communicating that effectively. The second piece then is once they know that information. So I think sometimes coaches will say like, it's it's overwhelming for pitchers when they're just constantly looking at data, but not if you've built the systems where they understand what they're going for. So I see that this pitch, this drop ball has to be another two inches. It's just not enough based on what I'm throwing right now. Uh, I need that variability there. I'm not throwing pitches up. This is a pitch that I need to grow. Okay, so I see the, I understand, you know, what I'm trying to accomplish. I'm watching the high-speed camera. I see where my hand position is. I know where it has to be. Okay, so I'm going to try all these strategies and, uh, I am going to essentially look to Rapsodo for feedback. I'm going to look to the ball flight data for instant feedback. Okay, that one, I think uh, my hand position wasn't good. That one felt better. I think I got behind that a little bit more. I look, I wait, I see like, yep, I was right. I felt that one. That's where you start to all of a sudden put the athlete in charge. It's communicating uh, all of those pieces early on, but then allowing her to associate feel and what's actually happened on each individual pitch, that's so, so powerful. And I feel like it's just a critical piece in getting pitchers to really be able to make change, to own that change and tap into that change on their own. So um, those, those variables and this concept, this conversation, I wanted to talk about today because again, like I said, you know, we talk a lot about you know, not doing things related to the arm or isolating the arm and making sure that we're always uh, focusing on arm action as it relates to the body or, you know, making sure that we understand them as a system. But that doesn't mean that we don't have ways within training that we're really focused on arm action. We just don't remove the concept of the trunk arm relationship as we're doing it. So uh, I wanted to describe that process or those processes in a little bit more detail. This is so not cookie cutter. These are strategies that, you know, as a whole, we certainly use, but it's important to really watch 
each pitcher's response to those variables or response to those constraints. It's really when you can hone in on, okay, when this pitcher is in this environment with these variables, this is when she's really getting it. That's what you have to watch out for. And then that's when I you know, start to really see change being made because I've sort of found the right environment. And so that's really what I was referring to regarding you know, why I spend my time on the constraints, the variables, the environment, manipulating those pieces versus just trying to come up with you know, the newest, the hottest, the weirdest looking drill. So that is just today's discussion. I hope that was helpful. I hope uh, all of you who are, are watching or listening learned a little bit of something and feel like you can implement some of these things uh, with your pitchers. As always, uh, would love to hear your feedback, would love to get some questions from anyone. Uh, out in the pitching community who is listening and has some thoughts on how this may or may not be translating well with their pitchers. Uh, The goal of these conversations are just to keep growing conversations and keep coming together as a pitching community. So thank you again for watching, for listening. Uh, Really enjoyed today's discussion. Hope you did too. And I will see you on our next episode. Thanks for listening to today's episode. I'd love to connect and hear your feedback. You can contact me directly at ashley at s2breakthrough.com. If you're listening, you can leave us a review, or if you're watching, go ahead and leave a comment below. Also, be sure to follow S2 Breakthrough on all of our social media channels and subscribe to Stream S2 to find all things player development. Until next time, quest on. Quest on.